0: I'm Laura Norton, and this is One Strange Thing, the show where we search the nation's news archives for stories that can't quite be explained. Well, strangers, it's the season of love. Or the season of discount candy and avoiding social media because if you see another picture of a disgustingly happy couple, you will lose it. Sorry about that. Of course, we don't begrudge anyone meeting and celebrating the love of their life. Give them a teddy bear or jewelry or flowers or a heartfelt card. But if you compose poetry, please write responsibly. Many rhyming crimes are committed at this time of year. All that aside, there are definitely some love stories that are more interesting than others. Every meet-cute is special to the couple who stumbled into it, but we think you'll agree that there are a few tales out there that, well, feel bigger than others. Love sagas that withstand the test of time, and transcend it even. It's just such a romance that we bring you today. It's got star-crossed lovers, grand gestures, bittersweet tragedy, a happy-ish ending, oh, and ghosts. Lest you forget what kind of show you're listening to. We begin, as so many weird stories do, in Florida. In 1919, a real estate developer named Thomas Rowe left the hustle and bustle of urban Virginia and moved to St. Petersburg. He was a middle-aged man looking for a success story. He was a deeply talented builder, and he chose to build something exceptional in Florida. Per the Tampa Bay Times, he'd visited before and been taken with the landscape. The Times reporter wrote that, The more Thomas looked around, the more he loved the surf that rolled in from the Gulf of Mexico. The fishing, the boats, the green keys and the islands, the bayous, the flocks of birds, the distinctly semi-tropical wealth of palms and mangoes. It was at that time he decided to take advantage of these charms. In the early 20th century, Florida was much like this reporter described, mostly forest and beach and swamp far from the tourism destination that we think of today. But especially in beach towns, it was rapidly becoming clear that there was money to be made. And so in 1925, Thomas bought 80 acres of coastal land in St. Petersburg and began construction on a grand hotel. It was going to be the largest and most luxurious hotel in the nation. In a multi-page spread on the project, which should tell you how big a headline it was at the time, the Tampa Bay Times detailed what Thomas was working on. Even as he and his team ironed out the technical details, Thomas was dead set on one thing. The hotel would be called the Don Cesar. The hotel would be built in the Spanish colonial architectural style, but its name would actually come from an opera written by an Irishman, Mara by William Vincent Wallace. Don Cesar is a charming nobleman, a rogue with a heart of gold, who falls in love with the titular woman, a street singer. Thomas had seen the show many times while studying abroad in London as a younger man, in part because he liked the story, and in part because of one of the actors on stage. More on that in a moment. Suffice it to say that the Don Cesar Hotel was to make a suitably dramatic entrance into St. Petersburg. The hotel would be bordered by water on two sides on a thin strip of land between Boca Ciega Bay and the Gulf of Mexico. It would have a concrete boardwalk accessible from the hotel grounds and stretching into the Gulf, the first structure of its kind anywhere in the United States. It would have 312 guest rooms spread across 10 floors, and it could have certainly had more, if not for the enormous dining room, banquet room, ballroom, and rooftop gardens. The lobby would be somehow palatial and intimate at the same time, with an indoor courtyard and a large stone fountain as its centerpiece. And perhaps most notably, the hotel's exterior would be painted cotton candy pink. We weren't able to find any quotes from Thomas on this topic beyond his fondness for the Spanish and Mediterranean aesthetic. But as it turns out, pink would have been a popular contemporary choice for the exterior of a hotel. According to Forbes, America's pink palaces were trendy in the 1920s and again in the 1950s in part because of the influence from tropical locales like Portugal and the Caribbean, and in part because of practical considerations. Constant near-equatorial sunshine will bleach bright colors to pastels in a matter of months, if not weeks. So why not start there? It was practical, plus people seem to like the candy-colored dreaminess of it, and we can't blame them. Photographs from the 1920s and the 2020s alike make the Don Cesar look as close to postcard perfect as hotels can get. And so in 1928, the Pink Palace opened to great local fanfare. It was everything the Tampa Bay Times said it would be, and more. It was a feat of early 20th century engineering and design, a multi-million dollar marvel Per the hotel's website, it was immediately popular with the jazz age elite, from F. Scott Fitzgerald to Al Capone. Other than possible uh, mobster issues, Thomas Rowe would have been, should have been, elated with the success of his dream project. But we suspect his mind was probably elsewhere. Namely in London, 20 to 30 years before ground was even broken on the Don Cesar. You see, the hotel was named for the strapping male lead of that opera that he loved, *Maritana*, but it was actually built for the actress in the eponymous leading role. The Naples Daily News is the best source we have for this story, and as far as we can tell, it's cobbled together based on local historians' accounts and on local legend. But we've no reason to doubt the veracity of what they wrote. The Don Cesar's own website confirms most of the broad strokes. In any case, as the Daily News tells it, Thomas fell in love with a woman named Lucinda. She was young, but she performed the lead role in a turn-of-the-century London production of Mauritana. It would have been a high-profile gig, to say the least. And Lucinda was beautiful, which certainly didn't hurt. She was Spanish, with dark eyes and long curly hair. Thomas was enamored with her from the moment she stepped on stage. He loitered in the theater after the performance in hope of catching Lucinda's eye. Catch it he did, and the two began a secret relationship. Now, they were adults of course, but you see, there was a problem. Lucinda was from a long line of Spanish aristocrats who had no interest in or patience for the American who had fallen in love with their daughter. So Lucinda and Thomas met in secret for a few weeks between her performances in the theater's outdoor courtyard. They would sit in the dark and listen to the bubbling of a grand stone fountain and talk about running away with each other. In private notes, they referred to each other using pseudonyms, the names of the characters from the opera, Lucinda Maritana and Thomas Don Cesar. But per the daily news, it was not to be. On the night of Lucinda's final performance, she and Thomas were to meet in the courtyard, flee London, get married and catch a ship to America. But something happened, and Lucinda's parents learned of her plans. And, per the Daily News, quote, When the opera fell silent and Lucinda did not appear, Thomas Rowe waited by the fountain until the sunrise found him hopeless and heartbroken. But wait, strangers, because this story does indeed get more sad. Per the Don Cesar Hotel's own website, Thomas tried for years to contact Lucinda and his letters were returned unopened. Eventually, many years later, he did receive an envelope from London, but it was surely not the one he'd hoped for. Per the Naples Daily News, there were two items in the envelope. One was a newspaper clipping announcing that Lucinda had died, and the other was a letter from Lucinda herself. It's unclear who put this all together and mailed it to Thomas. We have to assume it was a friend or a family member of Lucinda's. Maybe, in their grief, her parents had softened their stance on the pesky American from all those years ago. No one mentions how Lucinda died, though she clearly saw it coming. As she wrote in her final letter to Thomas, My beloved Don Cesar, we found each other before and we shall do it again. This life is intermediate. I leave it without regret and travel to a place where the swing of the pendulum does not bring pain. Time is infinite. I will wait for you by our fountain to share our timeless love. Our destiny is time. Forever, Maritana. Thomas was, predictably, heartbroken. Lucinda's heart had not stopped loving him all that time, until it stopped beating entirely. It was a blow that would be difficult for anyone to take, and Thomas never really recovered. Per the St. Petersburg Catalyst, he developed an anxious disposition and a weak heart. He did eventually get married to a violinist named Mary Lucille Rowe, but the couple were quickly estranged. And even more so when, in 1919, Thomas left, it seems on a mutual agreement, and went alone to Florida to build the hotel that now calls itself a tribute to his long-lost love. The Spanish architecture was trendy, certainly, but also a commemoration of Lucinda's heritage. And the Don Cesar's website says its lobby courtyard and fountain are a precise replica of the one where Thomas and Lucinda would rendezvous in London. For her part, Mary Lucille seemed to have little interest in participating in the hotel's development or operations, which is fair, we think, given the whole it's-a-monument-to-her-husband's-dead-lover thing. As far as the St. Petersburg Catalyst was able to find, Mary Lucille seldom, if ever, visited. The Don Cesar's director of marketing, Todd Gurky. Even told The Catalyst in 2020, it seems that he was more passionate about the hotel than he ever was about the relationship with his wife, that's for sure. But who's to say, really? Well, probably anyone's to say, Todd. That seems pretty clear to us. In any case, as the 1930s rolled around, the Don Cesar was increasingly renowned, but also increasingly in financial trouble. The Great Depression hit tourism hard, as recessions still are wont to do. Per the Tampa Bay Times, the hotel struck up a deal with the New York Yankees to host them for spring trainings in 1931, 1932, and 1933. That kept the hotel afloat for a while longer. But then, in 1939, World War II broke out. The Don's finances, which had just begun to recover, dipped once again. And then in 1940, Thomas Rowe had a heart attack in the Don Cesar's lobby, and he died there. Per the Naples Daily News, Thomas hadn't signed his will before his sudden passing, so the hotel couldn't be left to his staff as he'd said he'd wanted. Instead, it became the property of his estranged wife, Mary Lucille Rowe. What followed is a long story that we'll try to make brief. The hotel entered into a swift decline after its founder's death, even though by all accounts, Mary Lucille did her best to keep it running. Per the Don Cesar's website, the U.S. Army bought the hotel in 1942 and used it at various points as a hospital, recovery center for newly returned veterans, and a Veterans Administration office. In the late 1960s and early 1970s, the Pink Palace was in a terrible state and at a serious risk of being demolished. A public campaign brought it back from the brink and it reopened as a hotel and remains operational and very well reviewed to this day. And that would be that. The story of a tragic love and a resulting monument to it ironically kept alive by a woman that a man couldn't truly see because his eyes were turned to the past. Sad, but not exactly fodder for this particular podcast. Except for one strange thing. It seems that the Don Cesar has a bit of a ghost problem. Or maybe a more major one. But In better news, it does seem that Thomas and Lucinda have reunited in the afterlife. And they're not particularly shy about public appearances. And it seems that they've brought along some fiends. Um, sorry, some friends. The local media has reported a number of sightings and otherworldly occurrences at Thomas Rowe's Pink Palace. In addition to our star-crossed lovers, Specters from various decades of the hotel's history have been reported by startled guests and by employees. There's the requisite military hospital specters, because, obviously. WPXI recounts the story of a steward in the late 70s or early 80s, walking through the hotel's kitchen at midnight and coming face-to-face with a nurse in 1940s medical corps gear. But when they're not scaring the living daylights out of people, the ghosts seem to have helpful impulses too. Per the Daily News, quote: During the first night of a new late-night dishwasher's career, the balmy beachside air beckoned him for a break from the stacks upon stacks of dirty dishes. After the newcomer finished a cigarette, he returned to the old kitchen to find all the dirty dishes cleaned perfectly and stacked neatly in the middle of the floor. With his body covered in goosebumps, the dishwasher quickly slipped away from the kitchen and never returned. On the Don Cesar's own website, they note that employees often see doors swing open as though pushed by a chivalrous bellhop. Showers will turn on and off unprompted. Maids will hear knocking on doors as they clean rooms, with not another living soul in sight. One maid, according to the Daily News, even flat-out refused to clean the rooms on the hotel's fifth floor because of the constant knocking. It's worth noting here that the fifth floor was where Thomas Rowe lived when he was on site. So, you know, do with that information as you will. And then, of course, there's the lovers themselves. WPXI writes that it's not uncommon for guests and staff to report seeing a man in an old-fashioned white suit and a broad-brimmed Panama-style hat wandering the fifth floor or pacing on the beach. The Naples Daily News adds that, especially after the hotel was added to the National Register of Historic Places in 1974, staff reported seeing not one but two figures drifting around the grounds. Quote, New stories ensued of a young couple strolling the grounds and the fifth floor hand in hand at sunset. The man is wearing the traditional tropical weather suit and Panama hat of the early 20th century, and the young beautiful woman with the long dark hair is wearing a Spanish style peasant dress. As we always tell you, you're most welcome to take all these stories with a big grain of salt. It certainly is interesting that the Don Cesar has leaned into ghost stories in the 21st century, at least to some extent. We certainly had to go looking for their endorsements of the otherworldly, but they do exist, tucked in amid all the luxury promotion. Maybe it's a marketing tool, targeted at lovers of the paranormal, like us, but One to actually go on vacations, or maybe the ghost sightings just happen too frequently for them to ignore. Rationalizing aside, though, we're sure Lucinda's deathbed reassurances that time is infinite and that she'd be waiting by the fountain for Thomas when he was ready weren't much of a consolation to him when he first read them. But at a time of year we've carved out for celebrating love, between family, between friends, between lovers, there's something really wondrous about the idea of intermediate lives strung together by souls that will find each other eventually. If the Don Cesar is the ultimate monument to a lost love, it certainly seems to have stood the test of time. And whether or not you think that the lovers themselves have to, we still think it's pretty, well, sweet, but you'll have to forgive us. We're feeling just a little sappy this week. We hope you'll join us next time for another real-life story from the fine print of America's local papers, from the lives of regular people just like you and me, except for one strange thing. Oh, and Strangers, One Strange Thing is an entirely independent production. To support the show, and to hear more of the entirely true and enticingly peculiar, join us over on Patreon. There, you'll get ad-free early releases of our regular episodes, full-length bonus episodes, and plenty of other fun content, like live streams, all for $5 a month. We hope you'll check it out. There's a link in our show notes.